Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm in the Capital Club community, visit our website at www.excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn. Hello and welcome to the conversation on today with me, AJ Clank. AJ is a co-founder of Capstone Companies, the largest privately owned multifamily brokerage in the United States. He currently sits on the board of Capstone and leads his development company, Catalyst Capital Partners, which has 14 multifamily projects in various stages. And we met through YPO, which is increasingly how I get my most interesting guests on the show. So thank you for joining me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Brian. So multifamily it's been a wild ride the last, call it 20, 20 years, 15, 20 years. What initially drew you to that asset class, that food group? Sure. So <clears throat> I did not really have a real estate background. I, I would say, unlike a lot of folks in real estate these days, I graduated from University of Michigan and always wanted to live in the Southeast. So moved to Charlotte and middle of the recession, trying to find my way in real estate, sort of meandered through residential initially and small commercial and Ultimately, connected with my current partners, Brian Ford and Bo McIntosh, we all brainstormed on a vision that we had for commercial real estate, thinking that there was an opportunity in the investment sales space in multifamily. Investment sales, this is back in 2009, uh, was, uh, you know, there were a decent number of investment sales brokers, but definitely not as many as there are today. And so we just saw good tailwinds in that industry and good fundamentals long term and decided to start a multifamily brokerage. And uh, yeah, the rest is history. So, I mean, walk me through that a little bit more because, I mean, I'm in the commercial real estate business, investment sales. I mean, that's it's pretty rough sledding to get the mandates you're going up against. And I think we're going to get into this later, but even back in the 2008 timeframe, you're going up against CBRE and Cushman and JLL and these massive companies that have long-standing relationships. I mean, how did you compete with some of those brand names initially? That's yeah, a great question. It was very challenging, I would say. A middle of a recession, I think, was a blessing and a curse. There wasn't really much transaction activity. So I guess it gave us a couple of years to to take our licks and then build good relationships along the way. But Obviously, there's just a lot of club calling, a lot of door knocking, really doubling down, trying to, you know, initially we were doing our own, own underwriting, create our own database through the apartment guide books they used to find in the grocery store. Uh, we didn't really have, uh, you know, a big investment behind us. We didn't have one small investor uh, early on, but it was, it was tough sledding for a while, to be honest. And I think over time, we've been really insistent upon having a strong culture and being a very team oriented group. Um, and we're very diligent. So we always were doing our best to, you know, be as informed as our uh, more institutional competitors. Cause you're right. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's this business and in investment sales is owned by publicly traded companies. 
CB, Cushman, uh, Walker Dunlap, Northmark, JLL, and it's really tough to break in. There's a lot of longstanding relationships with those groups and a lot of quid pro quo in the business. Meaning if you sell me a deal, then I'll let you sell a deal for, for me. And how that, you know, how do you break in if you're new, you haven't sold anybody deals, right? So you have to just chip away at those relationships over time. Uh, we started a land brokerage, which has helped. Uh, we've really worked on you know, some of the roughest deals that uh, early on, basically whatever we could got into equity. We have now the biggest manufactured housing platform in the country. So we were really trying to zig and zag and do things that others weren't that could sort of put us ahead of the curve. And we mentioned this on the pre-call and I want to hear your thoughts. It's changed, right? I mean, back in 2008, 2009, to your point, there were some of these big firms, but there were also some local regional groups that were doing investment sales that well-established, multi-generational, locally owned, usually partner firms. They might've had an affiliate relationship with one of the big groups, but they were still kind of local. As these CBREs and JLLs have become institutionalized and gone larger, they've gobbled up a lot of those or they've stopped allowing them to have license affiliation relationships. What have you seen in the business in terms of trends over the last 15 years along those lines? That's an interesting point. You're right. The larger shops use CBRE for an example. Investment sales is not, to my knowledge and all the research I've seen and heard, not a real huge profit center for those groups. It's more or less a loss leader and something that helps support their capital markets teams. These large lenders want the, the strip fees. They want the servicing. They want to originate the loans. So having investment sales brokers in the same office helps them get into that loan business a lot easier. That's, I'd say, you know, why it's hard to compete with those groups is they have huge checkbooks that they can open up and they can write checks to brokers, our competitor competing brokers somewhere around, you know, somewhere around the average of your last three years gross commissions. And they'll write you a check to come over to their company. You have to return some of it if you don't finish out your contract. They put you on different splits. And it's honestly, it's a little bit more, I don't know. I We're private. I view it a little more communist than anything, if you will. Um, and I think we're more of a pure democracy from the standpoint of our guys eat what they kill 100%. Everybody's full commission. But you're right. I mean, we have offices that have joined us. Specifically, I'm thinking of our Oklahoma City office. They joined from a CBRE, a regional CBRE office that went back to the corporate sort of ownership structure. And they ultimately, that, that group ultimately wanted to be part of something a little bit more entrepreneurial and flexible. So that's, that's sort of our secret sauce, at least in that company is attracting really talented brokers. They might be with big shops now and they're tired of wearing a suit and tie every day and tired of, when you join one of those shops, you have to register all the real estate that you own and let, let, you know, your boss know what you're buying and selling. And it's, it's just a different quality of life as well. And I think that's what sort of set us apart. That's interesting. I didn't realize that those investment sales groups was really just a, a loss leader need to, in order to tee up the cross sell to the capital markets guys. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, we're sought after from lenders who don't have investment sales groups who want to buy our company. There's a handful of them out there just for that exact same reason. Uh, and, and so that begs the question. I mean, <laughs> have you thought about starting up the capital markets? arm or do you you have one and I'm just not aware of it? If I am, I'm sorry. No, we think about it. Yeah, we think about it all the time. We've had a couple of affiliations in the past. We had a affiliation, a correspondent relationship with Arbor. You know, we've done something similar with another mortgage broker. It's, it's definitely something that we're missing and we need to 
and we have a number of things in motion that will help you know add different components and different sort of selling up op- cross selling opportunities. The challenge is you know we've become really good at what we do and. Um, it's a new business and we just have to make sure you have the infrastructure in place. And we've made a lot of, I'm on the board now. We hired a full executive team in the last year. So we finally put some of the pieces in place that allows us to expand, I think, in a manner that we feel comfortable and confident with. So it's on the docket for sure. And so I want to return to that part of the journey. But before we get there, could you just provide some commentary on what it's been like to be in the multifamily investment sales world the last 15 years? We, you know, we hear these numbers thrown around. You, as a real estate person, you hear stories about, you know, cap rates in the sub three and they're just churning every year or two and they keep getting compressed more and more. What's it been like to be in the thick of it? It's, it's been all I know. (laughs) I'm a 37 year old guy and I started in this business when I was in my early twenties after graduating from, from Michigan. And, um, I haven't, you know, I knew the recession. When I was starting out, to put it in perspective, we were selling C-class deals and, you know, parts of the Triangle, Raleigh-Durham area that weren't that exciting to large-scale investors. They were trading at 32 a unit for a 350-unit deal. That same deal is traded for 150000 a unit today. And it's just, it hasn't really been forced income growth. It's been organic most most of the way. I think the cost of livings continued to go up. The you know the interest in renting versus owning has continued to increase, and we've just continued to ride the wave and, and be a part of that. I think today you're seeing even more tailwinds than you have in the past uh, with you know the, the inflationary figures that you're seeing and the lumber costs and you know in some of our markets we've seen 20 percent rent growth in the last year, and there's a big move from the Northeast and Chicago type areas and the West Coast to the Sun Belt. So. At least in our markets, we're a beneficiary of all that. And it's, it's obviously, it's been kind of cool to see the folks who have grown and developed their business and had a lot of success, and especially the, you know, the guys and girls that are doing it uh, with integrity, you know, and doing it the right way. And it's been fun to be a part of from the brokerage side too. We've, we've been, you know, with 55 brokers, we've been able to really be a part of improving a lot of our folks and their families' lives. So it's definitely been wild. You know, we sat down with an owner yesterday who has a, around a thousand unit portfolio in the Charlotte MSA, bought it a few years ago. Let's say bought it around 67,000 a unit. And three years later, it's worth over 200,000 per unit. And these are kind of workforce, workforce units. But that's, that's what's popular. You know, those, those, those sort of lower, um, not low income, but lower on the spectrum of rent level units are very sought after because they're not making any more of them. And the cost of building is just so high. So I think you have a really captive audience there. And, and the housing crisis continues to be a real issue. I read this morning in the New York Times. They think Long Island requires 775,000 new homes in order to manage the population that they have currently. And that's a, that's not a great market, right? I mean, a lot of people are, are leaving the New York metro area. So, and I live in Nashville, which is a real problem locally right now. And so, yeah, I think institutional groups are going to continue to migrate towards that investment thesis. I believe it. So let's talk about your journey as an entrepreneur. You start from scratch, right? Nothing. One small investor, but you're just out there making cold calls and knocking on doors to now you've kind of r- removed yourself really from the day-to-day operations in many ways. You're now an advisory capacity. Was that difficult for you to go through that transition? Was that something that was not forced upon you, but did you have mentors say, hey, it's time now to make this progression? 
That's a great question. I think that I've always been a very long-term thinker and have been, uh, we, we use a organizational structure called EOS, which is, you might've heard of. And a lot of others entrepreneurs use entrepreneurship operating system in the visionary seat there. And I think that's sort of what I'm looking for or, or, or look to for in my businesses is, um, really trying to think ahead. And I knew if I, I really started with the end in mind, looking at where do I want to be when I'm 50 years old? What do I want my income to be like, my assets, my lifestyle? I really want to dedicate my life to, to giving back. And we're building some schools in South America and Central America. It's something that really drove me into real estate. Just the ability to become independently wealthy and then commit myself to, myself to doing good. And <clears throat> this was always part of the plan, to be honest. It was create a business, create different you know cash flow streams, eventually turn, turn them into um, machines that can operate without me being in the thick of it every day. And that's how my personal rental portfolio is. That's how Capstone is turning out. Um, I have a restaurant business. It's the same way. So I think with Capstone, it was just like I alluded to, we've been on rocket fuel, but that's with myself and my two partners, kind of one foot in and one foot in the development business. So once we finally started making some progress and had some 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 good NOI to reinvest, we hired a, the best executive team that we could. And it's just yeah, natural progression. So it's been fun to be on this side of things. So a few follow-up questions there. Could you maybe give people context of what EOS is that aren't aren't familiar, just high level? I would I describe it if if a lot of folks have heard of lean manufacturing and Six Sigma, which you hear associated with in my I grew up around Detroit. So the auto auto industry, uh, Toyota. Nissan operational system that they operate on that enables them to be at their uh, their max capacity and full efficiency. And this structure, the EOS structure, is simply for small businesses. The same sort of a, a operational guide, but for small um, private businesses. And it's a series of meetings, seats that each company has that you need to fit individuals in. It's a, a matter of cascading messaging. When you have a company that's 100 employees, you got to find a way to cascade what's happening at the top level all the way down to the bottom. I mean, really just regimen, regimented processes and goals that are able to be tracked by, you know, individuals and due dates and, and progress. And you know, there's implementers around the country that one can seek out that are very well educated on EOS to come in and help advise their company and install EOS. So it's that's been the biggest game changer for Capstone. It's also implemented at my other businesses. Would definitely recommend it to any entrepreneurs on, on the phone. I'm happy to make a recommendation to, to my implementer, who's who's a real uh, star as well. Yeah, I may take you up on that myself. I know I'm new to YPO, but I know a lot of people have used it or they talk about it on the message boards. I'm, I'm not super familiar, so curious. And then uh, an obvious question, at least from my standpoint, why go through all the machinations of this transition and these processes when you probably could have sold the business at a pretty decent multiple? We have a company of 100 that has had less than probably five people leave in 12, 13 years. We have 55 brokers. I think we've had two leave. We imagine growing up, imagine like your high school sports team and imagine if you just stayed together for 15 years, like the camaraderie that I felt at that. I didn't play college sports. I wasn't in a fraternity, but I imagine it kind of feeling like a fraternity that just stays together. It's a hell of a lot of fun to be around people that, that you learn from, that you grow from being around, whose families you see grow up. Uh, we're all making great money. You know, we're not paying it to the, you know, to a big corporate entity. 
Uh, we're spreading it around. There's probably half of our employees have actual equity in the business in the event there, there is a capitals, capital event. So we're just having a lot of fun. I'd say it's probably the biggest thing. And, and we're, you know, we started a development company, myself and my two partners, totally separate business. And, you know, we're just, we're enjoying being in the same industry on the development side and seeing what our apartment brokers are, are doing. So it's, yeah, it's just something we want to keep growing. I really think the sky's the limit, especially as we infuse more technology in the business and be, become more tech enabled, sort of where we're doubling down today. But talk more about that. What do you mean? What processes or what are you leveraging and, and how are you making things more efficient with tech? Sure. So we've, we've been, trying to infuse technology, whether it's, you know, something that we've built with our IT team as probably a year, year and a half old, or something off the shelf that we're finding out about at a real estate tech conference that not many others are, are, are hearing about or something we're white labeling from one of these, you know, IT development firms. The whole goal is to make our brokers more efficient and get them a higher return on their time. Obviously accompanying them a higher return on cost. And the other part that we're getting more and more into is doing the same for our, our buyers and sellers is, you know, I think providing a more transparent transaction process, uh, something that they you know, really trying to understand. We have so much data now, really getting a good sense for what are the pain points of buyers and sellers in the sales process and trying to solve those. So I think those are the main goals of the tech infusion and the tech stack that we've developed. I think there's a lot more that we can sell by using our technology and by using our reputation in the market uh, that we haven't we haven't announced yet, but things that can add value for our clients. So I think, yeah, it's just about adding value and trying to use technology to do so. Want to learn more about investing in alternatives? Get started by joining the Capital Club, where you'll get exclusive access to alternative investment opportunities, premium content and education, and an affinity peer-to-peer network of industry professionals. You can sign up by going to our website at www.excelsiorgp.com. So let's talk about some of the other ventures in your life. You mentioned you've got a portfolio of single-family rentals, maybe, or I'm not sure if they're SFR or what they are, but and then the, the restaurant business. Both are, are pretty capital-intensive, probably pretty correlated to your core business. How did you think about allocating your time and money into various different, you know, buckets that could provide what sounds like uh, what I would call overhead or like lifestyle capital so that you can, you know, maintain your quality of life regardless of what's going on in the core business. Sure. So early on when I got jazzed about real estate, of course, I was looking for real estate, but I couldn't qualify for a home loan because I didn't have, I was a, I was self-employed. I was an entrepreneur. You need to have a couple of years of tax returns behind you before a bank will loan you money. So I would find the properties and my brother, who's actually the leader of our Nashville office at, Cap- at Capstone, he had a good job. He's two years younger than me, but he was working for a big construction company out West. I'd find him, he'd finance them. We did that for a couple of years. And then I ultimately started doing it myself and just roll, rolling them up and got up to about 50 properties. Never sold anything. I've never, never really sold anything. And I think that's how the restaurant business came to be as well. I ultimately thought, that there's probably more upside I can create by being a little bit more intentional about what I'm buying. So um, not just buying small residential or commercial, but buying properties that could be in locations where I could actually open an operating business. That, that's always excited me. I like the challenge. I like building teams. I like helping and seeing people grow. And 
that's how my first restaurant was launched. It was in the Arts District in Charlotte called the Goodyear House. It's become very popular. The number one patio in Charlotte, outdoor dining experience in Charlotte. We have a award-winning chef that's beat Bobby Flay and been on Food Network a bunch and a GM that's open SDKs all around the country. So the idea was get a couple of guys like I did who are my age that have seen it all in this business and let's build a business around it as long as there's a good cultural fit. So from there, we've just, yeah, I kind of handed it over to them. and I provide the, some of the real estate expertise and some of the capital and it's just a, another fun project. And and what about the development work? You know, I mean, that's a pretty logical extension from doing brokerage. You understand markets, you understand exit cap rates. You, you, you've got all this data. I assume it just was a, a next step for you all being entrepreneurial and, and, and seeing other deals and opportunities in front of you. Yeah, exactly. I think we've seen, we've been exposed to so much at Capstone. I've sold, you know, a couple billion dollars worth of real estate. And I've, I've been, I've learned through osmosis that a lot of the groups who are doing that, they're no different than me, you know, you and I. It's just, I think, having that perspective and that confidence in yourself that you can go out and you can offer on a $10, $15 million piece of land or a $50 million asset. They're really just numbers at the end of the day, right? There's more work, I think, that comes raising capital for that sort of a project. But I think creating something has always been exciting to myself and my partners. You're really placemaking. And and we we did a lot of land sales. We did some co-GP development deals while we were brokers and kind of got our feet wet. And this was the next natural big challenge in our industry. So it, yeah, it was to us, it just felt like a logical next step. And uh, same thing here, we're in growth mode. You know, it started beginning in 2019 at Catalyst Capital. And um, I think now we've got 15 projects in various stages. We closed one this week and they're in Phil Charlotte, build to rent, garden style. You know, we're really kind of taking what we've learned from the developers and investors we've been around and trying to to take the best of what we've learned and employ that at Catalyst. So it's it's been fun. Yeah, it's, it's still a matter of getting the right people, right people on the bus. And that's the hardest part these days with um, the industry being so strong and the employment industry being so strong is, you know, you're, I think it comes down to like what kind of person you are, right? And, and are, are you attracting others because, you know, you're not an ass, right? You're, you're somebody that folks want to work around. And um, I think that's, that's always forefront in our minds is trying to find folks with high integrity that we want to be next to every day. Yeah, absolutely. And are these long-term holds? Or are you building them and then taking them to market? So we love the, we love the market long term in multifamily. And I think there is a lot of runway, especially when you look at the values on a per unit basis in the Sunbelt markets compared to other markets around the country. Even when you compare Nashville and Charlotte and Raleigh and Tampa to even Denver's a little bit, you know, more expensive. Um, obviously Chicago, New York, LA, some of those bigger markets, but. We're really bullish long-term. So I think we'd love, we're always capitalizing our deals in a way that gives us flexibility to potentially recap and own the deal long-term. I think I'm, I'm a nerd when it comes to new technologies. And I think, I think blockchain is something that's going to be continue to be talked about in our industry and the potential to tokenize real estate. Um, I've spent a lot of time investigating that. And if we, if, you know, a lot of groups in the country have already figured it out. Um, there's been case, you know, use cases, I think over a hundred now where, where folks have tokenized their, their equity and their real estate. And if that becomes more mainstream, it's, I think it's a total game changer for this industry. It'll make real estate investing accessible to the everyday investor, not just the accredited investor. And if, if that happens, um, the prices are going to skyrocket. Values are going to skyrocket. 
Um, I think it'll be a little bit more attractive than the equity market. So that's a that's a sort of a long term vision, but um, I think another another reason to potentially to hold. Yeah, I'm I'm likewise very bullish. I think if we can get through some of these regulatory hurdles and some of the capital stack issues from the debt side, I don't see any reason why we wouldn't be the world's largest marketplace. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I, I'm right there with you. Uh, is that your is that your approach to to your real estate investing? Are you are you seeking to to hold, or are you typically buying? Yeah, so so we are providing yield to our investors. So these are long term holds for the most part. Most of our investors would rather have if I can get two if I can get ten percent annualized, and I'm giving them in monthly coupons. Most of my investors would rather have the distribution than they would the capital back because right now allocating capital is a real challenge, and so that's kind of the solutions that we're bringing to them, but. We're likewise opportunistic. Our debt is a little bit more challenging. We're typically doing CMBS. And so we can't really do much in the first couple of years, but we're very transparent with our investors about kind of the whole period of illiquidity there. So we certainly have exited earlier. We do do some value add kind of bank debt deals where we can kind of flip in two or three years. So what, what would you say your typical, just, I have not really great insight into your asset class, which I think the medical office is one of the focuses. What's the sort of expected return um, or what you're seeing these days? Yeah. So if you model out a 10 year hold, obviously your IRR is going to be pretty underwhelming. So you're looking at kind of low to, to mid teens IRR and probably a one and a half multiple, maybe a, a higher than that on, on equity. But again, you're getting that kind of nice annual coupon and that's kind of the product offering that we're giving to people. So we've had bigger numbers, but I found that as a manager, it's always better to under promise. (laughs) Be pretty conservative in Europe. For our, our product doesn't have the cap rate compression that multifamily has. So it's really hard to pencil in a hundred, 200 basis point decrease in the back end. I just don't think it's realistic. Uh, It'd be great if it happens, but yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Has not been the case, so yeah, not a, not a market I know a lot a lot about. Although I may have a uh, medical office site for you on a, a master plan site of ours in the triangle that we could talk about. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to do to buy more there. So, well, <laughs> I don't often get asked questions on the show, so I like this is fun. So, well, as we wrap up here, what advice do you have for somebody who's maybe looking at brokerage as a business or a profession? Like, how do you get that mandate? How do you get that first? investment sales gig? How do you convince a landlord that you know what they're doing and that they'll give you the the work? It's really tough to break into investment sales. Um, in my experience, I tried myself and I wasn't able. I didn't. I, I, a joke I've heard is you either have to, your dad has to work for CBRE or somebody has to die, right? There has to be an, a, a hole that needs to be filled that you can, you can fill. A lot of folks I see start at the big firms because they know somebody there and they start as analysts, which isn't a bad place to start, to be honest, as a financial analyst. You can come work for Capstone or a smaller, more entrepreneurial group that I think we seek more people with the right stuff than, you know, the right degree or the right the right um, previous job experience. I mean, we've hired folks that have no experience in real estate because they're just incredibly charismatic and personable and hungry and they're just, they're fighters and I think a lot of those skill sets you see in a- athletes lots of times have proven to be good and make good investment sales brokers. So I would just, you know, you got to go out there and build a resume of unique experiences. You got to bust your ass. You got to really believe it. And you got to show up, you know, to that job interview and and network like crazy to get it. 
and you got to look different. You know, you got to be excited and enthusiastic and, and you got to offer to work for free. I mean, you got to do whatever it takes. Like when I was starting, I worked at the psych hospital for 40 hours a week and, you know, making 11 bucks an hour. And then I went to work real estate at Capstone, you know, the other 30 hours a week. And because that's, you know, my parents weren't sending me any money. They cut me off. <laughs> you know, so it just depends how bad you want it. You know, I sacrificed a lot uh, early on in my 20s because I wanted to have some fun later. So I think you, I mean, you, I'm sure you've seen the same. It just takes sacrifice. And uh, it's all the stuff you hear the, the self-help guys telling you on the podcast. You just got to do it. You got to, you know, you can't just listen and talk about it. You got to write it down and do it. <laughs> You know, make goals and do it. Yeah, I think cliches are, are exist for a reason. And a sense of urgency is one of the biggest things that you need to have in this business. Um, and I tell people all the time for networking or they're asking me for a job. I'll often say, hey, you know, I'm busy right now, but call me in 100 days or like call me in 98 days and I'll see if they actually do it. Right. Like, and the guys that, that track it and they call me back in 98 days, I'm like, now let's have a real conversation. You know, that's great. Um, well, AJ, I want to thank you for the time. It's been awesome to get to know you a little bit. Hopefully we can meet in person. And again, just thankful to the YPO network for, uh, always bringing cool stories here. And, and I wish you the best of luck. You guys have a lot going on. I know your group in Nashville, they're good guys and I'm sure you've been busy. So, you know, look forward to staying in touch and thanks again for sharing your story. Absolutely. Well, congratulations to you as well. And thanks for the show and, uh, have a great rest of your, rest of your week. All right, man. Take care. All right. See you, Brian. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of The Capital Club. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please like, rate, or leave us a review. And stay tuned for our next episode coming soon.